Welcome to Digital Marketing Happy Hour, a podcast about marketing, technology, and life. In this episode, we're going to talk to you about Facebook advertising strategies that drive conversions with Salome Shellac. It's episode 37, and it starts right now. Digital Marketing Happy Hour is brought to you by Araxum, your resource for marketing and technology. For more information, go to araxum.com. That's A-R-A-X-A-M.com. Welcome back to the happy hour. And of course, what happy hour is complete without a few beverages? Ryan, what are you drinking this week? Typically, I'm not a big fan of the IPAs. It's not that I hate them. It's not just not something I always gravitate to. However, today, I have a uh, local beer, uh, Cigar City Brewing out of Tampa, Florida, and it's an IPA. It's called Highlight. It's something that I kind of every once in a while have, not all the time, but uh, it's a good way to kick off 2021. What do you have in front of you, Chris? I'm with you on the IPAs. They are good at select moments, but it's not an everyday beer. Uh, I'm drinking local as well. I went back to Coppertail, which is a brewery here in Ybor City in Tampa, and I am drinking Unholy, which is a Belgian triple. We have our beverages in hand, so let's get started. He's Chris Casale. I'm Ryan Smith. Thank you for joining us this week on Digital Marketing Happy Hour. If you're new to our podcast, then we welcome you. If you're a repeat listener, thank you. And if you continue to find value in this podcast, would you please kindly leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever platform you listen to this podcast on. In this episode, we had the opportunity to speak with Salome Shellac. Salome resides in Australia and presents Facebook marketing strategies in an easy-to-follow process that will get you optimal results. Facebook has modified its algorithm over the years, and Salome will teach you her process that has evolved with Facebook's changes and allows your ads to get the most engagement and conversions on your website. Ryan? Let's bring her in. So we are very happy to welcome Salome Shellac to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. Salome is an online marketing and Facebook ad strategist. She helps online course creators launch, scale, and grow their courses and membership programs faster with clever Facebook and Instagram ad strategies that work. She's the head of Shine and Succeed. It's an agency that helps multi-six-figure online course creators and membership owners scale and get to seven figures faster. She's also the creator of the Launch Lounge, a membership experience where new online course creators come together to learn how to build their audience and create their first profitable launch. Salome hosts the Shine Show. Now, it's a podcast for women, but as a guy, I'll say you can get a lot of information out of that who want to create impact and autonomy while sharing their unique magic with the world. Salome, welcome to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. It is so lovely for me to be here, Ryan. Thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. Now, start off the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. We always have to start off with some sort of drink. Now, if you don't have a drink in front of you, what is your sort of go-to beverage when you have a happy hour? A happy hour would not be a happy hour without a Prosecco for me. Uh, I am known I am known for my Prosecco drinking habits. 
I love it. So do you go straight Prosecco? Do you add, is it a little mimosa? Um, no, straight Prosecco. The straighter, the better. Just give it to me clean. I like it. I like it. In a pretty, I, I'm a in a pretty glass. Uh, oh, oh, okay. Garnish? No, no, just my pretty glass. I like it. I like it. Is there any special places? Because a lot of times too with drinks, there are certain memories that are attached to it and you kind of carry those. Was there anything for you that... I wouldn't I feel holiday. I feel holiday is Prosecco. Uh, uh, yes. Overall, like I feel like once I take that beautiful flute and I smell it and I drink it, I love it. And funny thing is, I don't like like champagne. I don't drink fancy champagnes. Mm -hmm. Just give me a plain straight old Prosecco and I'm happy. So feel like you, I'm relaxing. Yeah, you say holiday, I say Sunday. That's just for me with Prosecco. <laughs> it's the uh, yeah. Well, maybe I should say Friday because okay. I'll be honest and say I'm trying to cut back the Sunday drinking a little bit because because the month because the Monday hangover. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It, no. It's, it's Friday's dry. better. Yeah. What is it with January? January has like a dry. I, I can't remember. Yeah. There's like some sort of hashtag dry January or something like that. Oh, we have dry July, which is a, uh, like a fundraiser for cancer. I think where you stop drinking in July, which okay. I've done a few times. Yeah. A few times. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing is the first thing we, we, we you and I, and, and Chris talked about before we started recording was your accent and, and it's, kind of maybe hard for some people to pinpoint exactly where you're from. So can you kind mm. of introduce yourself a little bit? And, and, yes. And yes. So I um, grew up in South Africa. My mom, actually, my mom was an English teacher. And so she hammered us. And when you're in South Africa, you have to learn the Queen's English. You know, we, mm. we learn British English, the fancy way and okay. Shakespeare and all that. And we are taught that the Americans with their Z's instead of their S's is so wrong when we go to school, you know? Uh -huh. And then, so my mom was always very precise or particular about like, I need to speak properly like mm. the queen, you know, we need to have proper accents. And then I lived in London for three years. And of course, then you pick up things like, I want a bottle of water, please. Can I just order, order, order a bottle of water, mate? <laughs> And so I picked a little bit of that up and then I moved to Australia. And now it's kind of like, we're in Australia, mate. You know, we're all living in Australia together. So you and have this hybrid. This hybrid. And now I work mostly with Americans. So now I'm starting to say like, come on, y'all. Oh, we got to get this thing go. done. Come on, y'all. <laughs> so it's, it's, very, it's very mixed. Um, and like I said, my, uh, my Aussie friends tell me I'm starting to sound American. My mom says I sound Australian. So I don't really know. But, but it is, it's always a, an interesting point of conversation. You know, it's funny you say that too, especially like about the y'all. I heard, I saw this interview with, you know, Emily Blunt. She was yes. on like Howard Stern and it was interesting. And with Brits, when they do American accents, apparently it's easier to do a Southern accent than it is to do like a, a, North, a harsh Northeastern, like a Boston or New York. Yes, um, I would agree with that because it's really? so over the top, the Southern accent. It is so like, it's dramatic. <laughs> dramatic y'all <laughs> so easy to like you just have to think of l woods and you can speak like southern you know you just have to have a character who has this <laughs> southern accent and you can do it but but the others are harder 
I love it that you mentioned Elwoods of every person that uh, that's awesome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, one of the things we definitely want to talk about, we hear a lot about is social media. And when we talk about social media, the first thing people talk about is Facebook, right? Facebook ads yeah. or Instagram ads. But I think what we noticed is there's still you know, maybe some old ways of doing things when creating ads. While the number one thing we come across is, you know, people want to drive leads and, and they go right after those sort of conversion leads. Mm. But things have changed a little bit with, with Facebook and how they, they run that. What have you seen in the world of, you know, running Facebook ads and how things have changed over the years? Yeah, that's such a great question. Because, you know, back in the day when we did start, we used Facebook ads for one thing. And that was for conversions. Like it was so easy to build audiences on social media that we could build mega audiences without putting a single dollar on Facebook ad or on a Facebook ad. So, so then when it did come time to launch something or sell something, that's when we would go, okay, I'm going to put some money on Facebook ads because for every dollar I put in, I'm directly linking it to a sale that will get me $2 out. And that worked for a while until Facebook started running out of inventory because there are more advertisers than there are space in the newsfeed. And until Facebook started getting competition from, you know, first it was Instagram, which they then bought. And then things like, I, rem I specifically remember when Snapchat came out and Facebook wanted to buy them because they noticed that people are leaving Facebook and going to Snapchat faster than what Facebook is liking. So Facebook tried to buy Snapchat and Snapchat just said, sorry, we're not for sale. And as a result of that, they then started Instagram stories. Mm. So, you know, that was kind of their answer to the competition. But what I think what Mark Zuckerberg noticed then is the days are over of us just being at the mercy of whatever Facebook gives us. Facebook realized that they need to step up their game in terms of keeping people on the platform. And what people don't want is marketing. What they do want is relationship. What they do want is to have connected relationships with the people they love when they come to social media. Now, if you think about the algorithm, the algorithm is basically a very smart artificial intelligence. And how would an algorithm know when relationship has occurred. The only indication that algorithm has is engagement. So they then made all of the organic algorithm, the organic algorithm basically died, right? It died for everyone who just, you can't just post and expect people to see it. If you're not getting engagement on your social media, your social media is going to die. And, or it's going to feel like you're walking through mud trying to build an audience on social media. But that also counts for our ads. Facebook realized that if engagement is the currency of, you know, of social media, if engagement is the thing that keeps people coming back, then we need to hold advertisers accountable for engagement as well. And we need to create content in the newsfeed that people want to engage with, not just stuff that says, download my thing or buy my thing. And so now what we're seeing, what we've seen in the last three years in the newsfeed, in the ads, in the ads industry is that Facebook is rewarding the accounts that have engagement on it. 
So the more engagement you can build on your ad account, the better it is for you. And long-term, Facebook actually brings down the cost of your conversions because now you're giving Facebook what Facebook wants and then they reward you by putting your ads in the newsfeed because it's deemed quality. Are there any types of ads that you've seen that just seem to do better with engagement than maybe some? Because I know it seems like there's different types of engagement when you look at it. And engagement could be a like, it could be a comment. But if you run video, it could be, I think it's what, a three seconds is when it first counts mm-hmm. as is a video. So I didn't know if if there was something that's it's more prone to to get that engagement sort of going if, if you should choose, you know, a specific type. Yeah. So if we talk, so we can talk about the different content types and we can talk about the different the value of different stats or different data points. From a data perspective, a comment is always going to have the most like it's that's the most valuable thing. And not a comment, a share. If you can get someone to share your ad, then that is like, that is like the best thing ever, because that indicates to Facebook, this is share worthy comment content. This is something that people are going, wow, this is so good. I have to give it to other people. And then lower down from a, from a share is a comment, lower down from a comment is a like, and then lower down from there is just a click or a three second view, a 15 second view or through play would be in there as well. But I think I always tell people to think of think of engagement as like a continuum of the highest level of action you can get people to take, right? If I'm sitting watching TV and something comes up on my newsfeed and I watch three seconds of that video and then I keep scrolling versus I'm scrolling through and I see something and it makes me laugh and I click like and I share it with a friend. I have been way more actively engaged than the passive engagement when I watched a video. So a lot of people often say, well, I'm just going to run a few video view ads and get some cheap video views, which has a place, but it's not the, it's your, if you're, if you're wanting to build engagement on your account, those video views are passive engagement. And I want people to go after the active engagement. And that comes back to content. And as far as content goes, what we want to create is we want to create stuff that makes people feel things. There's a reason why memes are so popular, because they usually hit some kind of a nerve or show some kind of a truth that that we might not want to admit to or that we've already decided is a truth, but people aren't actually saying it out loud. Or it's showing us a moment in our life which when we see it as a meme, we go, ha ha, yes, that, that's exactly what happens. And it makes you feel something. It makes you go funny, you know, laugh. It, it, it stirs an emotion. And so from a content perspective, we want to create content in terms of engagement ads that makes people feel things, associate, like identifies our ideal customer and helps them immediately associate with us and go, Yes, this is my person. This is my tribe. This person has the answers for me. This person gets me. This person gets my struggles. This person gets my desires. So you want to think about the content you create from the perspective of how can I make people feel something? It doesn't seem to matter what platform you're on. It always comes back to content. You're always looking at creating new and engaging forms of content. But that can be tricky sometimes if you don't have a background in content development or depending upon the type of audience that you're trying to reach. 
what is the advice that you give to clients when they're going through that sort of brainstorming process or trying to come up with content ideas that will strike that emotion or, you know, strike that level of, of nerve and, and, you know, create that engagement? That's a great question. I think we need to let go of the idea that we're ever going to arrive there. It's a journey. It's a journey to discovery and it's a journey that changes because as you change, your audience might change, the desires of your audience changes, you discover, you become better at meeting your audience where they're at, you become better at identifying those desires and pain points of your audience. So I say to our clients, we start with what's already working. We look at your social media and we go, what is already getting engagement here? What are the qualities of those posts that are already engage, getting engagement? Why is it hitting a nerve with your audience? What does it contain and how can we replicate that? And then we run what's already working. We start by running what's already working as engagement ads. And we start by running it to their warm audiences. So people who are, or have already engaged with them in the past, people who are on their email list, people who've been to their websites, because those people are more likely to comment and share, right? And then we run it to a cold audience and see if our messaging and our marketing is still matching up and if it's still hitting that nerve, if it's still getting that reaction. And if it doesn't, then we go back and we say, okay, we're closer because this worked with the warm audience, but we need to tweak it a little bit for the cold audience and find out how we can create content that is going to resonate with our audience better. Um, so so that's that's kind of where we start. And then the beauty of having engagement ads that work on is you don't have to create new ones all the time because you're constantly running it to a cold audience. So it's every single day getting put in the newsfeed of new people, which it's like having someone permanently attend networking events on your behalf. You know, it just brings people into your world. And if you've got your custom audiences set up, it captures them in those custom audiences, and you are basically filling your buckets with people who are somewhat slightly interested in what you have to say. And I say somewhat slightly because they've only engaged with an engagement ad. Now it's your job to warm them up. Now it's your job to put more content in front of them. Now it's your job to put your list building ad in front of them. Now it's your job to get them on your email list where you can add value to them every single week, get them to listen to your podcast get them to go to your Instagram and engage with you. You know, that's your, now you need to build relationship. They've shown you, they're interested in what you want, what you have to say, but now you have to build the relationship with them. And so I, you know, I guess the important thing there is to let go of the idea that you're going to get it perfect. You're going to, it's going to be a constant journey of improvement. I like that. So we're talking about starting off with a post organically that is getting some engagement, taking that post but you're not referring to boosting, correct? No, no boosting. No okay, boosting. Just to clarify. Yes. No. See, the thing is, like boosting, I always say boosting a post is like, you know, I live in Brisbane. Where do you guys live? Uh, we're in Tampa, Florida, USA. Tampa, Florida. Okay. So if I want to travel to Tampa in Florida from Brisbane, I can get on an airplane and I think the best way to go would probably be Brisbane to Los Angeles and then Los Angeles to Atlanta. You know, they have a saying here, you know, when you, whether you live or die, you have to go through Atlanta first. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. I'm so glad I got that one right. Yes, you, <laughs> um, they do have Atlanta, direct flights from LA, but just, yes, yeah. they do have direct. <laughs> okay. so, so, so let's say I wanted to make it as short as possible. So I want to go Brisbane to LA, LA to Tampa. 
it's going to take me maybe 20 hours, maybe 25, 24, 25 hours to get there. I'm going to be exhausted when I get there. But, you know, I can bite the bullet and get there. Or I can hire a bicycle and cycle. Let me think, what would be the fastest way? Maybe cycle across Australia to Perth through the desert, get on a boat, go to South Africa, cycle across South Africa, then get on another boat that goes to somewhere in Florida, then get on my bicycle and and ride my bike to Tampa. Mm -hmm. When you're boosting posts, you're on your bike. You're using your bike to try to get to the other side of the world because you're not using the full power of the tools that you have available to you, which is the ads manager where you can create specific audiences that you decide that you want to target. You can track your numbers and your results properly. So you actually know whether your ad is working or not, whether your ad, the money you're giving Facebook is giving you a return or not. And, uh, and you have the power of setting up your ad properly so that you know that it's going to give you the result you want. So I always say, like, if you're going to boost a post, like, it's like me getting on a bike, like going, like, why would you when you have airplanes? So we take that. And by the way, I just realized I, I butchered that saying. It is whether when you die, whether you're going to heaven or hell, you have to go through Atlanta first. Just just to clarify that <laughs> on that one. Um, That's funny. So we're not boosting. So no. we take that post and you can you can advertise without boosting, right? And put it into, in the ads manager, you can select that post and now we have that ad running. Yes. When we have that ad running, who, you, you talked about warm and cold audiences. What kind of audience we want to run that one off first? Okay. So that one, we're first going to run to a warm audience. So let's talk about who your warm audiences are. Warm audiences are people who have already somewhere in your digital footprint had some interaction with you. And we know that because they're either on our email lists already, so we can upload our email lists to Facebook and use our email list to run ads to our email list. We have our pixel on our website and we create an audience inside the ads manager where we say, Facebook, please capture everyone who comes to my website in the last 180 days, 90 days, 60 days, 30 days. Capture them all in a custom audience. So that would be a warm audience, people who've been to your website. And in order to set that up, you need your pixel on your website. Or the other two audiences that we also use often that are warm audience is people who have engaged with us on Facebook in the last 180, 90, 60, 30 days, or people who have engaged with us on Instagram in those day frames. Those are the four main warm audiences where you're kind of throwing the net really wide and you're saying, if somebody has had any kind of engagement with me on any of these four areas, they're in your large warm audience. And so when they see your engagement ad, because they have already had some contact with you, you're already building that no like and trust factor, they're more likely then to engage with that post. And yes, you can totally create an ad from a post inside the ads manager. You literally build build it exactly like you would build any ad, but just when you're selecting 
the creative part of the ad, you just say, use an existing post. And then you go and pick up that existing post from your Facebook page and you run the existing post as an ad. Do you have a specific budget for those that you recommend? Yeah, that is the beauty of this is you can start doing this for $5 a day. And I recommend that it is the first $5 you spend in your business because the payoff of spending that $5 a day is going to be so big for you because in the long run, you're going to have all these audiences that are starting to warm up to you. Your social media is going to come alive. Everything else, when we started doing this with our clients, we had clients saying they're getting more podcast downloads. They're getting more sales in their Shopify accounts. They're getting more downloads for their lead magnets from their websites. Like every digital asset that you have gets more traffic when there's more engagement. Because what do we do when we engage with something? I'm going to engage with it. And then I'm going to go click to go to this guy's profile. And once I'm on his profile, I'm going to click to go to his website. And once I'm on the website, I'm going to check out the podcast episodes. And then I might go and listen to a podcast episode. And then there's a call to action to join the email list. And I might do that. And, you know, six months down the track, I'm buying an online course from this person. But it started with an engagement. Is there a, how long do you run it? Like, when is it, okay, I've, we've had enough engagement. How does, how does a, you know, a person understand mm. we hit that limit or maybe there's never a limit, but this is when we want to take that ad and start targeting our cold audience. Great question. So I say you run it to your warm audience until you hit a frequency of four. So you have to keep an eye on your frequency with this one to see if you get to a frequency of four. Now, if you're just starting out and you have a really small audience, you don't have a lot of people yet, you might hit that frequency within a couple of days. And that's okay. It just means everyone in your audience has seen it four times now. It's time to move on. And then you can run it to a cold audience. And a cold audience, we usually identify through interest-based targeting. So you could say, I want to target everyone who likes Amy Porterfield and Marie Forleo and James Wedmore and Pat Flynn and Russell Brunson and Frank Kern. You, can just, you get to decide who you target. And then you run that ad to a cold audience. And your goal with that cold audience is to create what we call message market match. So this engagement ad is the perfect opportunity for you to play around with your messaging and to play around with your ad targeting and to try different messages and try different targeting until you get to a point where you're kind of getting engagement for one cent. Once you get one cent per engagement, that's a good indication that now you have this message market match and you're creative. And the, when I say creative, I mean the copy and the image in your ad is matching up to the audience that you're targeting because now they're responding. Now they're giving you, they're giving you a response and that response is engagement. And, and if, you, if you're running a cold ad uh, and you're getting engagement for one cent, you leave that ad. You leave it, you move on to building your email list. So you mentioned the email list and it's interesting. Some things in marketing change, as we just talked about the evolution of Facebook, as it were, and some things never do. Email marketing, since at least the beginning of digital marketing, has always been one of the three primary pillars of a successful digital marketing campaign, even though some individuals will claim email marketing is dead. 
Can you talk to the importance of building your email list and sort of how you go about it and really how you leverage it in order to get the success that you're looking for? Yeah. So anybody who tells me email marketing is dead, like I say to them, do you have a list? And if they, if they have a list, I'll say, okay, let's create an email that sells something to them and send it to them and see if it's dead. Because if you've done your work to keep your email list engaged, you've done your work to keep your email list warm and you're adding value to it, it is magic when you send them an email with an offer in it and they buy. And I'll tell you, there's few things as rewarding as picking up your phone, looking at it and seeing the Stripe notifications come through and all you did was send a few, send a few emails. It feels like cheating. It feels like it, feels like it should be illegal. <laughs> But it is great. And the thing is, it's the work we do outside of sending that email to our email list that makes them buy. So I just say, keep your email list engaged, keep it clean. I just cleaned off. I just, I, I just hacked off an arm. It felt like I'm hacking off an arm. I, delete, I deleted everyone who hasn't opened an email in 90 days from my list because you don't want that dead weight right? So keep your email list clean, keep your email list engaged, and then uh, add value to them every single week in some way, shape or form, and be committed to growing your email list. It's the most important thing you can do for your business because it really, the cliche is true, the money's in the list. And I'm glad that this is such a great topic. So you, as you say, kind of, you know, kind of hacked off, you know, a little bit of the, your arm there. Why would you do that? Devil's advocate here. It hasn't done that in the last 90 days. If you just keep sending it, maybe the people who haven't opened it in six months or eight months, maybe they'll see this one and open it. Why, why use that strategy? Right. Okay. I use that strategy because when Google sees our, Google has some, I don't, I don't understand email marketing as well as some other people, but Google sees what goes on in my active campaign account, right? Google has some associations. So they see, oh, my email open rate is really low. And when my email open rate drops really low, it's the same indication to them that my emails are not engaging. People don't like my stuff, so they don't open it. So Google goes, haha, hang on, people don't like this. So we need to hold back on showing this to people. So I don't know if you guys have ever found that or if you've ever signed up to someone's email list and they never got a single email and it just went straight to spam. And you're like, why did Google send this straight to spam? I wanted this. But Google somehow decided it needs to go to spam on your behalf, right? So as marketers, we're kind of at the mercy of Google not putting us in spam straight away because most people use Gmail. So my strategy behind hacking off my arm and getting all those people off was I to improve that standing that I have with Google so that they put my emails in people's news feeds. The second thing is I, so what I do is I would download the list of all of those disengaged people and I would save that. And later on, I do upload that to Facebook and run ads to these people. So I don't disappear off the face of the earth in terms of these people. I just don't want them on my email list if they are just negatively affecting my Google ranking and they are just, they're, sit, they're dead white sitting there. That doesn't mean I write them off for the rest of their lives. It doesn't mean they're going to forget about me. You bet you 
they are going to get retargeted by me for a very long time yeah. with lots of different stuff. But if you're not opening your emails, you don't belong on my email list. And that's why I take them off. I would rather have an engaged but smaller list than have a larger list that's like dead weight. And we talk about that. It's it's quality over quantity all Absolutely. day and all night. It, you know, and, and especially to working with a lot of business owners, and it really doesn't matter if it's here in the United States or if it's all around the world. I've done a fair bit of international marketing. I, and I say this a lot in the show. I said, you know, our cultures are different, no mm -hmm. doubt about it, but our problems mm -hmm. are the same regarding yeah. business. Yeah. And in the emails is a, is a big part of it. And I think they're, especially for some of the older business owners who really got their roots in, in television and mm. where it was all about mass, right? That's why it was called mm. mass communications. Mm. And it was all numbers. And I've worked with a lot that still have a hard time with accepting smaller numbers, but higher quality with that. And mm. for some, it's mm. a huge mind shift that they still, you know, and, and, you know, here we are in, you know, 2021, and it's still having an issue with changing that over. So I, I'm glad that you kind of brought that up that you're saying, hey, you know, I'm a business owner. And this is what I do. I, you know, I take it off. If you haven't been engaged, then mm. that's it. Well, I just think it's true for everything. The better we get at defining our boundaries and just being who we are for who, for whom we are that and sticking to, I kind of feel like it's when we hang on to, to quantity, when we want to go bigger, it usually comes from an ego place, right? But when we go quality and we go, no, I'm going to say no to people who are freeloaders. I'm going to say no to people who are, you know, who aren't committed. The quality we create for the people that stick creates magic, magic, magic. And I'm learning this in my agency and I'm learning this with my students where I'm really going, who are we saying no to? And who are we, what are our boundaries in terms of working with people and, and, and who we work with and who we don't? And, and if we can get really good at setting those boundaries in, in places and, and knowing who to say no to, then we create better magic for those people that do say yes. And for me, it's all about creating the magic with, with the few rather than being everything to everyone. You mentioned something that I'd like to unpack a little bit more. You talked about how you sort of cut off your arm, trim down that email list because you want to keep that level of engagement, but you're focused on sending regular emails to create value for these individuals. And, you know, certainly the material that you have, the courses and stuff do that, but you're not always creating value for them if every message is buy, buy, buy. So what are other ways that you are creating value for them on a regular basis if you're emailing them consistently? Yeah, well, I have my own podcast, just like you guys. So my email list gets a podcast episode every week. And I really try to pack in as much value as I can in there for them in terms of teaching them foundational principles around Facebook ads and online marketing, but also interviewing people with case studies and examples and helping them really see in other people what they want for themselves so that they can get there. So for me at the moment, it's mostly the podcast, uh, but I am looking at putting into place something next year where 
where we will have a 90-day email sequence that goes deep, that really goes deep with them over the course of 90 days. And I might rerun that 90-day sequence every 90 days to my entire list. And what I'm thinking about like changing to keep it fresh, you know, I know the content will always be valuable to anyone, but then having like almost a news, newsworthy news section in there, because Facebook's always changing and everyone's always looking for, you know, what is the latest thing on Facebook? This week, they're shutting down accounts. Next week, you know, we're not advertising, we're boycotting them. And then the week after that, we've got the another thing. There's always something happening. Uh, and I kind of want to create a very value-based email sequence that also has a, like a news section. What's happening in Facebook world? What's working? What's not working? What should we be paying attention to? And I'm hoping the combination of having those two emails, the podcast email once a week and this other email would like increase engagement, would help me add more value to them, will help me build more relationships. The other thing I will tell you that I'm doing now is I'm creating video content. Like if someone opts in for anything from my email email list, on the thank you page, they get a video from me telling them that there's a video from me in their inbox and I'm going to ask them to hit reply to that video. And the reason I do that is because I, they're the warmest they'll ever be straight after they've opted in on that thank you page. The next reason is because I want them to go and look for that email right now where my video message continues because once they've opened that first email and they've clicked on that email, it is an indication to the Google gods that my email is good quality. But now I'm also inviting them to hit reply to the email. And as soon as they hit reply to an email, I'm going to be in your inbox. You're going to get my emails. So that way, it's kind of for me more about the quality than the quantity. I'm trying to build as much of an intimate relationship with them as I can. Now, when my email list hits 100,000, will I be able to do that? I don't know. I might need, I might need more help around the house. I might need better babysitters um, <laughs> to be able to keep that up. But, but for now, that's not a problem I have. <laughs> That's a great strategy. And I, 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 when he said at the replay, I, or, you know, uh, reply, I, I saw where you're going with that. I was like, that's, that's brilliant. I mean, even if when you talk about like sales 101, there's always that ABC, right? Always be closing. What, what can mm. you close next? From an yeah. email marketing thing is yeah. just reply back, get them to take yeah. some sort of action. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely. Huge. Absolutely. Because they're, they're, I mean, if you think about, they have just opted in, they're hungry. They want more. So give them more right away. Yeah, I love it. The other part with email addresses too, kind of circling back to Facebook is we talked a lot about the importance of you know running ads, collecting email addresses, a little bit of lead magnets. Is, we can talk about that. But what can you do with email addresses within Facebook around audiences? Great. Yes. Two things that are really good. The one is you, up, you can upload your email list to Facebook to create a custom audience. Now, I want to say to everyone who straight away says that's a privacy issue, Facebook does not share that data with anyone. Facebook will, it is highly, highly, highly illegal for Facebook to share your email list that you uploaded with anyone. So, a lot of people are concerned about uploading their email lists to Facebook because they're afraid it's going to get shared. 
it happened. That was the Cambridge Analytica scandal. As a result of that, Facebook is so careful with that. They have so many restrictions in place that if you start a new account now, you're not even allowed to upload your email list until your account has been proven to be a legitimate account, right? So don't worry about the safety of that. So you can put specific messages in the newsfeed of those people who are on your email list. Now, if you think about it, you guys have a podcast. I have a podcast. And if the emails I'm sending with my podcast episode gets opened by 30% of the people on my list, what if we put the podcast episode in the newsfeed of the people on the list? And then they're more likely to listen to the episode, which builds relationship in return, right? And then I can send them to Instagram and tell them to DM me on the Instagram. And so we've, we're getting this kind of crossover. So you can put very specific messages in your email news feeds, in your email news feed audience. You can also upload specific segments of your email list, which I love because if you're selling a course or something and you upload your sales, your sales list, people who have bought from you, that is your best quality source for a lookalike audience. Lookalike audiences are where Facebook would take your email list and they would kind of mush them into one person that kind of has all the attributes of the list that you uploaded. And then it goes out and it finds more people like that for you. Now, if you say to Facebook, you want a 1% lookalike of the US audience that looks like your buyers, Facebook's going to give you 3 million people that looks like the people who bought your course. That is a great source for your cold audience for your engagement ad. It's a great source for your list building ad. It's a great source for whatever you have running top of the funnel, front end, that's now going to introduce you to those 3 million people and bring them into your world. When we talk about the warm audience, we also have to target sort of that audience. With these custom audiences is from a budget standpoint. I know it can vary from company, but is there any sort of rule of thumb when you want to, you know, run these list building ads to warm audiences? Yeah. So the algorithm actually, so if you think about how the algorithm works for a minute, it's kind of like it's an artificial intelligence, right? So think about all the movies you've seen about artificial intelligence where the computer, the AI, you give it an input and it learns, right? So let's say you're running a, a list building ad. You have optimized for conversion, which means as soon as someone converted to a lead, they, they gave you their email address, Facebook registers this, the algorithm registers this. And instantly that artificial intelligence learns. It goes, who's this person that just opted in? Who is this person? What are the attributes? And then it goes and finds more people like that. And then three other people opt in. And again, that artificial intelligence takes that into consideration and goes, who are these people? What are their attributes? And then it can learn and go and find more people, right? So that's how the artificial intelligence of the algorithm learns. Now, you can imagine that artificial intelligence needs enough conversions. It needs enough of those people opting in to really learn well who this ideal person is that's going to opt in for your lead magnet. So I say 
when you start running list building ads, you start with a minimum of $25 a day because I assume that your leads are going to come in around $5, which means you're going to give the algorithm five opportunities because five times five is 25. So five opportunities in a day to learn who the best person is for your result that you want. And over three days, because we always keep our ads on for three days before we make any decisions about how it's working. So we give the algorithm three days. It should come up with at least 15 results for you. And that's enough for it to learn. So for list building ads, $25 a day, irrespective of whether it's warm or cold ads. When you're running these list building, have you seen in your experience, are there certain sort of lead magnets that seem to perform maybe better than others, whether it's a guide, a worksheet, uh, mm. a course, a, you know, is there anything that you've seen that kind of works a little bit better than others? It's kind of seasonal a little bit. And there are times when, like, for example, in the last, I'd say a year or two, quizzes has been all the rage, but it's kind of all the rage because it works well for some people does not work at all for other people. So the rule of thumb is the base lead magnet is the lead magnet your audience wants. Mm. That's the, like, everyone's always getting hung up on, should it be a quiz or an ebook or a video series or this or that or the other thing? The format doesn't matter. The format is not the first choice you make. The first thing you decide is, what keeps my ideal customer up at night? What is their biggest pain point their, and their biggest desire? And if you create a lead magnet that, that solves the thing that keeps them up at night, your lead magnet will convert no matter what form it takes in. We talked a lot about Facebook on the podcast, but you mentioned your students in your online course building program. One of the areas of the podcast that's so rewarding for Ryan and I and some of our experience is really working with some of these small to medium-sized business owners to kind of build their businesses. What was your inspiration behind getting started with, with you know, the online course development? And are there any, you know, interesting stories you could tell us about some of your experience there? My inspiration about going online, do you know what it was? Well, there were a few things. I desperately wanted to get out of my job. For a few reasons. I don't think at the time I realized that I am just maybe unemployable. <laughs> I am rebellious and I think I know better than my bosses. And I, I just hated doing things because somebody in a head office has a spreadsheet and has to check off that I did a bunch of stuff. That is just madness to me. So, so that was my inspiration for wanting a business. I realized very quickly that social media is a powerful tool to build a business. And I felt that I didn't really have any, have any skills that I could sell in a business. So I enrolled to become a coach. I did coach training. I thought, well, that's the easiest way into starting my own business. And I had a background in sales. I was a pharmaceutical sales rep. And I thought, well, I'll just be a sales coach. And, uh, and I failed miserably at being a sales coach. I couldn't sell my own services because I hadn't gone through the process of learning my own value and proving my own value and seeing results and believing in my ability to do that. My self-doubt was so like overwhelming that I really struggled. But the thing that while I was trying to build that coaching business, I 
was like many local businesses probably attending BNI meetings attending lunch meetings, attending evening networking events, attending every networking event on the face of the planet, draining money out of my account faster than I thought possible, not signing up any clients, but still attending these events. And I just got so exhausted because I also, my kids were really young then. I was, I felt like a failure for my children because I was never home. And I felt like a failure in business because I wasn't getting anywhere. And that's, that was really for me when I decided I absolutely have to find a middle ground where I have time freedom and location freedom, and I do not have to physically be in the same room with people in order to network with them. And that's when I started, I started using Facebook Live to build my audience. And then I launched my first course and then I learned Facebook ads. And then there was a moment when I went back to my day job for a few minutes and then I started the agency and, uh, and that was in 2017, end of 2017, beginning of 2018. And, uh, and yeah, I've been, been at it since then. And now I have four team and team members and oh, wow. two courses and a membership and fabulous clients. And it's really going well. How did that sales, you know, even though you say you weren't great at it, it's still interesting to learn it and understand it. Does that play a part at all in helping you to get where you're at today? hundred mm-hmm. percent. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I, I needed to fail for three years. I failed for three years in order to learn what it takes to be successful at mm-hmm. this, in order to, to learn the mindset strategies, in order to learn. I think what I learned was, you know, when you're when you're a driven person who get, you know, I, I used to get into a job and get really good at it really quickly. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was going to be the same with business. And it just knocked me to the ground. And like my ego was like completely in the trash can, right? Because I figured out that I'm not quite as smart as I thought I was. And I'm not, I'm not going to get this figured out as fast as I, I thought I would. And that's been the best thing because it taught me to slow down. It taught me to value the process over the outcome. It taught me gratitude, tremendous, tremendous amount of gratitude. And it taught me like really appreciating where I am, appreciating what goes into building this, appreciating the importance of building the structure over just chasing the outcome. Whereas, you know, when I was used to, when I was just working in a job, it's always about the outcome. You don't Mm -hmm. even know the process or the structure because you didn't build it. You weren't there to build it. And now it's like, it's all the the process and the structure and the journey and appreciating where you're at, because you will not appreciate what comes next if you don't appreciate where you're at now. That's been the main thing. Yeah. And especially too with sales, because sales is all about outcomes. It's a number. You either have the sale or you don't. And there's, there's no in between. A little overlap in careers. That was me as well. Got got into sales. I always wanted to work for a sports team. And the only way you can get into a sports team, because it's so competitive, is you have to get into sales. And so mm. I'm like, all right, if that's the way to do it, I'll do it. So I journeyed from Florida to Oregon, which is almost about as far away in the continental United States as you can get in the car, mm. four days. And oh. I did a sales training. And from there, I lived in California and I worked a couple of years doing sales. And 
I was awful. Mm. You know, I didn't have the personality to get 99 no's for that one yes. I hated that world and I'm competitive. So it was even yeah. more like, oh, it was yeah. like backbreaking to get for me. It felt like that. Yeah. And talking, it kind of brought up a, uh, a Nelson Mandela quote, which I, I love. It's, I never lose. I either win or I learn. And yeah. I love that. And it, I didn't even hear that until years and years later. And I, mm. I kind of wish I knew that mm. because I was in a small town in Cal Fresno, California. I struggled to make sales. And there mm. I was, didn't make enough sales, out of a job. And I'm like, mm. what am I doing? I felt like I was in the middle of nowhere. And looking back, learning the sales fundamentals, if I didn't have that, I wouldn't be near the marketer I am today because Absolutely. you have to you know, learn those fundamentals and how yeah. that whole sales process works yeah. because it also works for marketing. It's the same. It, it's the same thing. It, it is, is the same thing. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. I, uh, yeah, I, I love what you just shared. I think that is very true. We, we have to learn to appreciate all those learning moments mm -hmm. because before I really had a win-lose mindset because that's all you know. When you go to school, they teach you it's win-lose. You know, you either failed the test or you passed the test. You mm. either won the race or you lost the race. Even at uni or college, that's how it is. And then you get into a job and it's, and it's sales and it's like you won or you lost. Yeah. And then you start a business and nothing is winning or losing. Nothing, nothing. It's like you say, it's either winning or learning. But even learning, when it feels like losing, it's winning. There's a shift too in collaboration. I feel like, you know, they're always ranking you, whether it's in school or at work when you're competing against others. And when you start doing things on the business side, you realize it's not about rankings or going head to head. It's about how you're supporting each other and how we can all win from right. these moments. And that's uh, that's a big learning how curve. The, yeah, how all the pieces fit together. And, and I have this conversation with one of my students who gets really hung up on her competition and what the other competition is doing. I'm just like, no, it's just... We are all lifting each other up together because there will be your people and there will be her people. And even if you do the same thing, like it's the old, you know, how many Italian restaurants are there? Does that mean you shouldn't open an Italian restaurant? No, because they're going to come for you. That's a great analogy. Right. Because there are 50 million Itali uh, Italian restaurants. You're right. And uh, yeah, does that mean you shouldn't open another Italian restaurant? Oh, you should. So, with all of this we talked about, we had some great things all about, you know, running Facebook ads, the importance of email marketing, and the importance of collecting email addresses. With all that being said, if there was one takeaway that you would want a listener to go away with, what would that be? Oh, I think in terms of Facebook ads, I want to say start before you're ready. Start before you're ready because, it, again, it's not a linear process. It takes, it requires figuring out. It requires winning and learning and you're going to win and you're going to learn and, and don't be emotional about it. I think that's the other thing is people get very emotional about their ads and about the ads manager and tech and Facebook shutting things down. And it's, it's a journey. It's a beautiful journey. It's filled with ups and downs. It is unexpected, but when you get to a point where you have an engaged audience who shows up when you speak, who engages when you ask them to, and who buys when you're selling, I tell you, it's magic. It's magic. 
That is great advice. Salome, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for joining us. Before we go, we like to close every episode of Digital Marketing Happy Hour with what we call our Keep It Light segment, which is just what is it that you are binge watching or reading these days of any interest? Oh, good question. I just finished The Boys. Did you that guys dark. Huh? That's I haven't dark. seen it yet. Oh, man. It's nasty. It's fantastic. It's very dark, it's though. fantastic if you're into like dark stuff. <laughs> I, yeah, it's I I literally just finished The Boys and the other one that I just finished which you guys probably aren't watching is Emily in Paris, which is the complete opposite of The Boys. It is frivolous and girly and fun and lighthearted and just Paris Paris sexy fun young girl there. It's very frivolous, but it's delicious. It, and then the boys. Sex in the City uh, writers is Emily in Paris, I oh, believe. Oh, is it? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. It's not as hardcore as Sex in the City. I mean, it's it's not as rough around the edges. It's a That's little bit more. That's why I can't more... watch it. <laughs> <laughs> you need rough around the edges. A little bit, yeah. yeah. Well, you'll love the boys. You'll love the okay. boys. The boys is, it's, it's, I, it is, it's just the most delightful, delicious. I just loved every minute of it. The one I finished that I felt was, uh, I had to watch it on like one night, I didn't, was The Undoing with Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant. It's on HBO. Oh, yeah, we've got it. We've got it here. I'm not sure on which channel it is, but I did see it and I keep thinking it must be good if it has Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant, but I, I haven't actually opened it up. You like it? It's not the Hugh Grant of mm. like Notting Hill. And that's what I love about it. It's a completely mm. different Hugh Grant. Mm. And uh, I applaud him for uh, taking a little bit of a different role than he's, oh, you know, he built his whole career on. Yeah. Oh, so, good. Now I'm curious. Now I'm oh, going to try it's that. six episodes. You'll have mm. to stop yourself. It, did you see Big Little Lies? I love it. Same writer. Okay, great. I David love Kelly. Big Little Lies. It's, yes, there's some, there's it. some crossover, but they're completely different at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, great. No, that's going to be good. That is going to be keep good. Keep adding it onto your list of, uh, of things to, uh, yeah. to watch. Well, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. You know, we do have a global audience in South Africa and Australia are definitely well represented uh, on the Digital right. Marketing Happy. So I'm sure they're going to be happy to, uh, to hear you. One of their own. On One it. of their own. Yes. If you're in South Africa, come over and say, say hello. <laughs> so if people want to learn more about you, learn about your podcast, your courses, how can they learn and find you? They can go to shineandsucceed.com. And that's the word and, A-N-D, shineandsucceed.com. That is my website where you can download free stuff, find the podcast, learn more about the courses, apply to work with us if you want us to run your ads, get the links to my Instagram, get the links to my Facebook. It's all there, shineandsucceed.com. Salome, thank you so much. This was an absolute blast. And I know our audience is going to get, you know, tons of, of information that they can apply to their Facebook ads. Thank you so much, Ryan and Chris. Well, Chris, I thought Salome really came with a great strategy that everybody can follow. It's interesting how Facebook has changed over the years. And I just love her process that she talked about. And I'll be honest with you, it's something I have tried personally with clients. And it does work. So thank you to Salome. I thought it was just a great interview. Yeah, fantastic interview. I always love it when our guests are able to provide tangible takeaways for the audience. And Salome did that today without question. A ton of value in this episode. Well, Chris, it is time in 2021. This is our 
first episode of the new year, but we got to keep it light. So what are you watching, binging? What's going on in your world? So I watched two of my favorite things, a documentary about baseball. Uh, Under the Grapefruit Tree is on HBO, and it's a documentary about CeCe Sabathia, who, you know, we've talked about it on the podcast. We're both big baseball fans. I'm a big Yankees fan, and CeCe was one of the Yankees' top pitchers for a number of years. And, you know, even when he really wasn't pitching very well, he was always an easy player to like. He reminded me a lot of um, Yankees had a pitcher in the late 90s and early 2000s by the name of David Wells. And, you know, David was always a flamethrower, but the one thing about him is as a teammate, he always took care of his guys. He always protected his guys. And that was CC. And so he was just the consummate teammate. And this documentary gives you a little bit of his backstory, a little bit of his history with alcoholism, the way the death of his father impacted him. And I had a lot of respect for CC prior to the documentary. Afterwards, I always love kind of that peek behind the curtain. Really, really awesome if you are a baseball fan, if you uh, are a Yankees fan in particular, but I think any baseball fan would enjoy Under the Grapefruit Tree. What about you, Ryan? What are you watching? Yeah, that's that's really, I did not hear of that. So my only CC Samathia story is for a period of time, I lived in uh, North Tampa in uh, Citrus Park, part of, of Tampa. And a lot of people might not know this, a good portion of the New York Yankees live in Tampa in their off season. Now Tampa has their spring training home. So it also makes, you know, makes a lot of sense for that. And in the Northern part of Tampa, some of the Yankees players, a lot of the sports players do live in that area as well. And so I remember one time I was at, I think it was a BJ's and I was at the bar having a drink and I overheard a conversation with the bartender talking to another guest. And she was talking about CC Sabathia and how he came into that uh, establishment and had nothing but great things to say about him. He just is a great guy. And so that was my really only experience outside of the baseball world to hear a little bit about him. And so that's one thing you always like to see is when you remove them from the spotlight and how are they as people. And it's just my one little glimpse, you know, fragment, but it was just nothing but great things to say about CC Matthew. So, you know, he's a great pitcher. So it was also good to hear that, you know, people have good things to say about him as well. For me, I as much as I love baseball, my favorite sporting events is football, whether it's the NFL, whether it's college football, of course, we're talking about American football. And in the month of January is when the football playoffs take place. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are in the playoffs for the first time in 13 years. And I couldn't be more excited. So I am all things the NFL right now. And I cannot wait to see what happens. And of course, Tampa hosts the Super Bowl this year in February. So also not that I'll be there, but looking forward to that as well. We would like to hear from you. If you heard something you loved, let us know. If there's some Facebook ad strategies that you're trying that may be a little different, give us your feedback. We want to hear from you. A couple of ways you can reach us. Send us an email, podcast at araxam.com. That's podcast at A-R-A-X-A-M.com. Also, find us on social media. You can hit me up on LinkedIn. Easiest way to find me is do a search for Ryan Smith Marketing. There's a few Ryan Smiths on LinkedIn. Or you could even do a search for Araxum on LinkedIn. You'll find Chris and I there. Twitter or Instagram, hit me up. My handle is Ryan Smith FLA. And I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. On Twitter, you can find me under Real Chris Casale. That's R E A L C H R I S C A S A L E. And on LinkedIn, my name, Chris Casale. You can also find me under Araxum or Digital Marketing Happy Hour. 
And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. We sincerely hope it will enlighten your day. After all, it is our mom's favorite podcast. And on that note, thanks for listening, everyone. And here's to a brand new Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Be nice to each other. Thank you for listening to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. This week's episode is brought to you by Araxum.com, your digital resource for marketing and technology. Visit Araxum at A-R-A-X-A-M.com. The music intro you heard is called Pure Adrenaline by Eddie off the album Too Damn Loud. You can learn more at CactusSlimRecords.com. The music used for closing credits In My Pocket by Jazzer, you can find it on their album Message. Learn more at betterwithmusic.com. Thank you for listening.